let's have a word of prayer. We're going to jump back into Exodus, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10 to start with. And how in the heck do you get Exodus? And it's a long story. Father, we come before your throne, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, Lord, um, your ways are not our ways. And, and yet, Father, your mercies are new every moment. Uh, Lord, I thank you for gathering us now, even now. And Father, as we look at your word, may we see the beauty and the peace and the harmony of all the things that you do. Lord, um, we who sit here tonight will honestly say that what you do is awesome and defies logic. And yet, Father, you're not done. Father, you redeemed us. You have drawn us. Uh, you have loved us. You have poured your spirit in us that the manifestation of you would be seen in your church. And yet we can look through history. We can look through your word. And Father, uh, we see the hand of an awesome God in so many ways. Lord, help us to uh, help us to drink deep tonight of your word, to be overwhelmed with your presence. And Father, open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, and uh, draw upon you who spoke existence into being. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this glorious day. The amazing things you've brought us through this week. The amazing things that we are so grateful for on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And Father, may we, uh, may we fall before you with the love and adoration that you've poured in our hearts to the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. I wanted you to look at 1 Corinthians 10 because there's times when I watch people who go through the Old Testament, there are times in the Old Testament that I have watched people persecuted in such a way that it has absolutely nothing to do with the church, and yet people force it to say things. Uh, a friend of mine once told me that the Bible is like a prisoner of war. If you persecute it long enough, it'll say almost anything. Uh, and that's true. But there is a key verse here in chapter 10, verse 6. And he's speaking, Paul speaking to the Corinthians about Israel and about being uh, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate of the same spiritual food. They all drank of the same spiritual drink. Uh, they were drinking of a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for he laid low in the wilderness. And that's what we're looking at is the, that wilderness time. Okay, and now these things happen, verse 6 says, as examples for us. Okay, when you think about 2 million Jews camping in Sinai Peninsula, it is an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Then he goes on and says, do not be idolaters. And this is a serious problem in the church in Corinth. It's a serious problem in the church today. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and they stood up to play. We looked at this last week. That phrase that you see laid out there is at the conclusion of God giving the law to Moses. And now listen, when we think about the law, nine times out of ten, you're going to say the Ten Commandments. That is not the conclusion. He was talking about how the brazen altar would be built. He was talking about the covering of the tabernacle, what it would look like, what the Ark of the Covenant would look like, what would the table for the bread look like, what would the lamp look like, what would the anointing oil be made of, and how it was it to be administered, how burnt sacrifices were to be done. He went through the whole sacrificial system. Okay, so when you think about the law, you said, and, and we, we, well, it's the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but in the whole context, he's saying, this is how you will come and worship me. He makes a statement, you will consecrate your priest before he comes before me. I'll kill him. That's what God says. God says, as I've given you this instruction, if your animal comes up on the mountain, it is to be killed. If anyone comes up without being anointed or consecrated, you are to put them to death. I'm thinking he's taking it seriously. Okay, when I look at what we call quote unquote worship today, how many people take it seriously? How many people walk in and yet now hear this text I just give you out of Corinthians. He says, you know what? This was given as a example. Has he changed? No. How dare we come before God and say, I'm doing it in contemporary worship? How dare you? How dare you even come in and say, well, I'm going to do it traditionally. How can you not come crushed, obliterated, saying you are the God of gods? Come with fear and trembling. Come understanding that your redemption lies near. Come to understand that you are but a breath away from seeing him face to face. We don't worship that way. Let's see, it's oh golly. Now I want to ask you a question. When you get ready to come to church on Sunday morning, how much effort do you put in to preparing your spirit to meet God versus what you're going to wear? We've already looked at the text well, two weeks ago that when you seek prophecy and all prophesy, even the unbeliever will come in and say, God is truly in this place, and he will bow before his face, before God. And you know what? Do you see that today? How many people actually strive to understand that I'm coming in the group of God's people, the edification of the saints to draw together to manifest and exalt God. Have you ever thought about that? 
I mean, my big concern, I remember, I, there's a lot of times I wake up in the morning, on Sunday morning, my big concern is, I wonder if it's going to be sunny or cold or rainy or snowy or what's the weather going to be like? You know what? God don't care what the weather's like. Verse 7 says that the people sit down to eat and to drink and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immoral, immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord. That means to test him as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor, this is a dandy end it. Grumble. Anybody complained about your position in life? Some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. And then verse 11 repeats what he said in verse 6. These things happened to them. Who them? Israel. Why? As an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. See, Paul understood that there's a new covenant. Okay, and the new covenant was sealed by a death. Okay, when you think about covenant, a lot of people get crazy about covenant. When you think about covenant, think of last will and testament. Okay, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Okay, for a will and a testament to come into force, what has to happen? Somebody got to die. Right? I mean, it doesn't start working unless somebody dies. Okay? Guess what? Somebody died. So that the covenant would come into force on those who were receiving it. Um, The heirs. Okay? Who are the heirs? Well, they are the group of the called out one, the ecclesia. The called out ones who come together and are going to be the bride of Christ. Now, here's something neat about the covenant. He's already died. So what would break that covenant? Nothing. Can't break the covenant. Why? He already died. He doesn't die twice. It is given unto man to die once. All right? So now then, with that in mind, go back to your text. And I want to take you because it was written as an example. It was written for you and I to hear. It was written for you and I as an example. Why? Of what not to do. What has happened? Beginning in chapter 32, the first 10 verses, the people have either by fear or impatience or a combination of both have concluded that Moses ain't coming back. They've seen this big cloud come down on Mount Sinai and there's been a bunch of lightning and there's been a bunch of thunder and the ground has shaken and they've said over and over, That's what they're saying. Uh, Even to the point, Moses, just go up and talk to him. And we'll do whatever he says. We just don't want to go up there. And listen, if you're smart, that's a good plan. You go. I'll wait here. You know, it's, it's like the joke about the guy, the two guys 
meet a crazy bear who wants to eat him. And the guy takes off running and he says, you can't outrun a bear. He says, I only have to outrun you. Right? It's the same thing. Go ahead, have that one. All right, we'll do whatever. But here's what we do. They make a statement in here. It says, we need someone to lead us beyond here because who brought us out of Egypt? Moses did. And God has already told you, I want a half shekel for everyone of this age group to give to the tabernacle as a remembrance of what? I brought you out of Egypt. And what happens to you and I? How many times do you and I take credit for what God is doing? And you immediately want a human entity, a man, a woman, a teacher. You know, I study under such and such, or I study under such and such. Why? Because they are what? What are they? I mean, you ever thought about it? A preacher ain't nothing but a foghorn for Jesus. There's no glory in this job. I hate to break the news to you. But I want a certain teaching. I want a certain... No, you can't do that. It don't work. It don't work that way. And yet, Moses has gone too long. And so they take Aaron and they say, Aaron, we're going to take and we're going to give a sacrifice to you. We're going to give you our gold. And we want you to make us a God who will lead us. Lead us. Man, I... This... That's why I wanted you to remember 1 Corinthians 10. How many of us on a daily basis are willing to take a sacrifice for something to lead us? Anything. Just lead me. And yet you think and you think back in your lives, each and every one of you, how God has systematically walked you step by step where he wanted you. You know what? And there's times it hurt, didn't it? There's times it, it was overwhelming. My heart was killing me. There's times when I looked at it and said, Lord, there's no way. There's times when I look at it and I say, Lord, this is beyond man's standards. Man don't need to go through this. And yet he says, do you trust me? And the people turn their backs. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And it literally means that their metal is rusting. Their metal is rusting. They are deteriorating. They are rotting from the inside out. If I grew up back in the Midwest, uh, Southern Ohio, and they put salt down on the grounds, and they used to have, there used to be a car company. Nobody remembers them anymore. They're gone. American Motors, uh, and they were an amazing group of automobile manufacturers because they could build you a car, and it would literally rust into dust before you had it paid for. Okay, it's really cool. Uh, uh, you think I'm kidding you? I had a Jeep, and it had a I had plywood in the floor. Because it was stronger than the steel. Uh, it was interesting to drive in the rain. But anyway, okay, well, it was just sort of. That's why they put floor plugs in them. Oh, no, wait, that's where the plywood was laying. Never. Uh, but I, I share that with you because what happens? They said, Who brought me out? Moses. Moses brought me out. And so God says, 
Moses, your people are rotting from the inside out. Why? They're going to give you credit. I'm going to give you credit. All right. Now watch what he says. Moses entreated the Lord. You know what that means, right? Entreated. Prayed real hard. Okay. We've, we've all been there at different times, haven't we? There's times when we just sort of pray. Then there's times that we entreat the Lord. We're talking getting after it. Right? He's to Yahweh. He says, God, oh, Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people? See how he just spun that back? <laughs> Them ain't my people. Them's your people. <laughs> they give a bunch of gold. They thought they were sacrificing, but they ain't my people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, Moses is right. We've already looked at the plagues. We've already looked at what happened. And God had set the stage that there was absolutely no way anyone was going to get credit for what was going to happen. Okay? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. They are your people. Your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac. And normally, if you look in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and who do they say? Jacob. But he doesn't. He says who? Why? Because I think these people are wrestling with you. (laughs) (laughs) right Israel means they strive with God okay that's not a good thing they wrestle with God they're wrestling with God okay remember Abraham Isaac and Israel your servants whom you swore by yourself that was the I am and said to them I will multiply your descendants as the stars in heaven and all of this land which I have spoken I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it. Now, this is an amazing statement because God has already given the qualifier in verse 10. Let me alone, let my anger burn against them that I may destroy them and I will make you, Moses, a great nation. God says, you know what? I'll start over. Okay, now listen, Moses is not stupid enough to say that is an idle threat. He knows of Noah. Guess what God did? He started it over. How many times do you see him consistently? I'm starting over. That's not beyond him. And so Moses is sitting there going, he will slaughter two million people and he will not lose any sleep over it. Okay. Verse 14. This one just freaks everybody out. People just hate this verse. I have watched people get into epileptic shock. Just, okay. People have asked me, do you believe God changes his mind? No, I know he does. Why? Because verse 14 says, Yahweh changed his mind. Some of your translations say, may say he relented. You know what that means? That's King James' way of saying he has changed his mind. Okay, listen. He did not change his character. 
He did not change his nature. Understand this. Here's the difference in this text. He said, I will destroy them. He did not decree it. It is in my abilities to what? Obliterate them. But he did not pass. You know, it's like when Jesus said, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. You know what that is? I have decreed you are cursed. Okay? He brought a decree on Sodom and Gomorrah. Give me ten people who are righteous. I will not judge it. Guess what he did? You can't find the ruins. You know, a lot of people say at the bottom of the Dead Sea is the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's a nasty thought. I've been to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the planet Earth that is above the ocean. And at the bottom of the Dead Sea is Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's got this smell that everybody says, this is medicinal. And I'm like... Yeah. Okay. Well, they do. They've got these places where the, I don't know what happened, but it looked like sewage coming out of the side of the shoreline. And they say, well, what you do is you smear this all over you and it helps your skin. And so a bunch of the people that I was with smeared it all over and they said, you want to no. Okay. And they were just standing there, and I took pictures of them to say, I'm selling these when you get ready to run for president. Look, they were in the sewage, and they said, and you can buy it. They, they had tubes of it. You could buy a tube. I almost brought my wife home some. And I thought, you know, I bet that won't fly. Uh, sure. What'd you bring me? The sewage of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it'll make your skin fresh and sparkly. Anyway, <laughs> well, that's what it is. All right, he withdrew what he was going to do. The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he would do to the people. Okay, he withdrew it. Why? It was not decreed. Okay, Bethsaida, Capernaum, um, you can go see the ruins. You can go see the ruins. He kept his word. Why? He decreed it. Okay, it's like, do you remember when King Herod wanted uh, his wife's daughter to dance? All right, and she said, you must give me a promise and I will dance. And he decreed it. I will give you whatever you want. And it was a decree, which means he can't back out of it. It's a royal decree, right? That's not what God says here, okay? He threatened judgment. He did not decree or ordain judgment, okay? See, the divine intention is not an unchangeable divine decree. See, a divine decree is unchangeable. You can't change that, okay? It's given to man to die once, divine decree. Guess what? We die once. All right. All right. So Moses is with God up on Mount Sinai and Moses starts down the mountain. Verse 15. Moses turned, went down from the mountain, has the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides and they were written on one side and on the other side. The tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. 
Okay, now he's got some other people up here. Verse 17. Now, when Joshua heard the sounds of the people and they were shouting, he says to Moses, there's a sign of war in the camp. I mean, they're starting to hear the people. They're getting closer to the people. And I mean, they've been hanging out with God. It's sort of, you don't hear the other stuff. You ever notice that? When you're really hanging out with God, the other stuff doesn't really distract you. But they're getting closer now. And and there's a sound of war in the camp, Joshua says. But Moses says, it's not the sound or the cry of a trumpet, nor is it the sound or the cry of defeat. But the sound of singing I hear. Verse 19. Came about as soon as Moses came near the camp. He saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them on the foot of the mountain. Okay, that's an amazing statement. There's this loud ruckus coming out of the camp. And Moses throws the tablets down and you can picture it, the picture of the nation breaking God's commandments. By making the golden calf that already broke the first three commandments. And that doesn't even include the fact that Moses or that Aaron called for a holiday the next day and would have a feast and, and then it would get up and play, and that's immorality. I mean, that, now you're going to start moving into adultery. You're going to start moving into fornication. You're going to start moving into drunkenness and all the rest of it. That's what it means to stand up and play. And yet, by Moses throwing the Ten Commandments to the ground and breaking them, we can see a picture of a people a picture of a nation breaking the commandments of God. Now, here's what's amazing about this. He shattered them on the foot of the mountain. Now, now Moses got him an attitude thing going right now. Just, just understand it. He, verse 20, he took the calf which they had made, he burned it with fire, and he ground it to powder. Okay, he, he took it back to its original shape. Ground it to powder, and he scattered it over the surface of the water, and he made the sons of Israel drink it. Okay, we've got an elongation here of the anger of Moses. Okay, and if you're truly honest with it, yeah. I mean, I was out here tending sheep and minding my own business. I had to come back and get your butts out of Egypt. And I, we have to go through the whole mess with Pharaoh and then Pharaoh's army. And now we're here. All you did was grumble. You don't get this to eat. You're not eating that. And now you're doing this. And then I go upstairs and talk to God. He's setting us up. We're going to have a worship service where you're going to start going into the promised land. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. I come back down and you guys have taken all of your gold jewelry and made a calf. So I'll grind it up into powder. I pour it into the water and every one of you drink it. Moses got him an attitude. Okay? But I want you to look at verse 21. See, Moses ain't stupid here. Moses says to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Who's responsible? Be real careful what you answer. When you start thinking about that the body of Christ, each individual Christian is a royal priest, who's responsible? 
That's nasty stuff. That's nasty stuff. Hebrews 13 tells me that I'm as an elder, I am responsible for the souls that have been entrusted to me. That's one of the most unfair texts I've ever read in my life. They're your people. Oh, didn't Moses use that? Darn. That didn't work. I didn't choose them. You said you chose them. But Moses left and he left who in charge? The high priest. You're in charge. Take care of them. Take care of the souls that have been entrusted. What is the golden calf, Aaron? And you know, that's an interesting question. What did these people do to you to cause you to do that? I mean, how drunk did you have to get? I like Aaron. Verse 22. Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. (laughs) He left me with two million evil people. What do you expect me to do? (laughs) Get it? Do you see that? Don't we do that? We all do that. And yet we're responsible. Man, I have seen people, um, most of the people that I have run into who are not saved, the reason they're not saved is because they've had a dealings with a Christian. Okay? Well, but that Christian did this, or that Christian did this, or that Christian, and you know what? And they may or may not be right, but I have seen some Christians that whatever they had, I didn't want. And I hoped it wasn't contagious. Okay, because that's some spooky stuff you got going on there. Have you ever seen some of them? I mean, some Christians are just the meanest, nastiest, grouchy, cranky people I've ever run into. And I just look at Christians and say, listen, if he never give you anything but eternal life, what can you bellyache about? Oh, they can bellyache about everything and anything and all things. And they do it consistently. And they want everybody else to be a part of it. And we love Jesus. And you sit there and go, my goodness. There are Christians in the body of Christ today that I pray don't share their faith. Why? Because they're evil. Gee. Second Timothy, in the body of Christ, in the house, in this great mansion that is Jesus Christ, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There are vessels in the house of Jesus Christ that are there to do the will of Satan. Yea, sign me up for that one. Okay? Hasn't really changed much in a few thousand years, has it? For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened of him. See, there it is again. Where were the people putting their focus? A man. You go to Israel today, guess who the, the greatest person on the planet is? Moses. But he's dead. Well, he's still loving. 
crazy. That's crazy. Why? It's the writing of Moses. It's the law. Moses Moses hung out in the presence of God. Just don't get any better. And I said to them, Aaron did, I said to them, whoever has any gold, tear it off. So they gave it to me. You know, I thought I'd make it hard for them. You know, they won't give up their gold. Tear off your gold. So I said to them, you know, I'll make it tough. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire. <laughs> Out came a calf. The weirdest fire I've ever seen. Every time I go into that fire, I get a hamburger. I don't get a calf. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron and had let them out of control to be derision among the enemies. Okay. See, Moses backed up and said, you know what? Check this thing out. This thing is a mess. This thing is chaotic. This thing has exploded right at the foot of where God's at. And, you know, this was one of those where I, if I'm Moses, I'm sitting there going, Katie, bar the door. This has got butt ugly everywhere. And that's really what it was. I mean, uh oh, because Aaron's not taking responsibility. And he comes up with this goofy, out came a calf. I put a bunch of gold into a fire and poof, look, a calf. How weird. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. Now listen, this has been a festival. There's been a feast. There's been a lot of wine. There's a lot of immorality going on. And the emotions and the senses are going nuts. And so Moses backs away from the crowd and says to this, now you're looking at two million people partying their brains out. And he says, whoever's for the Lord, step over here. And the sons of Levi gathered to him. Well, that had to be pretty disheartening, being that there's 12 tribes. And a tribe joined with him. He said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Every man of you put a sword on his thigh, go back and forth through the gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. Listen. There is no neutral when it comes to the open confrontation between good and evil. Please understand that. You can't say, well, you know, I'll wait and see how it turns out. Are you for him or are you against him? You know what? We sit here tonight and we all say we're for him. Really? Really? Got to remember, just a few days earlier, the nation of Israel said, Moses, go up and whatever God says, we'll do. You took too long, dude. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, 
And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Apparently, they killed 3,000 who perished in idolatry and immorality. You had 3,000 who refused to stop. That's pretty sobering. But you know what's amazing about it? God is serious about worship. Extremely serious about worship. He isn't kidding. Then Moses said, dedicate. You know what that means, right? Consecrate yourself. Anoint yourself. Dedicate yourselves today to Yahweh. For every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. Now, that's an amazing statement because what he's doing is, 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 is preparing. Um, it's, an, it's, it's a mindset that says, even when it comes to family, even when it comes to national ties, they are superseded. By submission to the Lord and to do his will. That's what he's saying. You have got to break your family ties. You may have to break your national identity. Now, listen, you and I don't, we we don't understand this. Uh, We live in a country where everybody is something American. You know, I'm African American or I'm white American or European American or, or whatever. And, and, and it's, and it's, I've had the privilege of traveling in Israel and in Russia. In Russia, everyone, first and foremost, is a Russian. We're Slavic. We're all Russians. Okay? Here in America, we're just mongrels, mutts. Okay? And we don't have a national identity. So that's hard for us. But we do have family identities, don't we? And what that text is saying is you need to consecrate yourself and to separate yourself even from your family, even from your nation, even from your tribes, from whatever you're doing. And hello, I'm talking to you. Listen, they've just killed 3,000 of their own people. The Egyptians didn't kill that many. They killed 3,000. Why? Idolatry and immorality. Came about the next day that Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I am going up to Yahweh. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Atonement for your sin. Now, I want the rest of this, I want to show you something. 31 through 35 is an amazing line. I'm just going to read it all, and then I'll summarize it quickly for you. Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin. Now, remember what he did. He came down, he took the golden calf, he melts it down, then he grinds it into dust, and he puts it in the water, and everybody has to partake of it, Right? What did the people's response? They kept partying. That's all they did. And he says, okay, I'm going to back away from this thing. And whoever's with God, step over here with me. 
Only the tribe of Levi. He says, put your swords on and let's get after it. Whoever's not going to change their directions, put them to the sword. Brothers, friends, sons, put them to the sword. Okay, now listen, you start walking around with a sword in a group and people start dying. It's amazing how it kind of gets their attention. Okay, uh, have you ever been, well, maybe not, uh, certain parties when someone takes a gun out and fires a shot? It's amazing what happens to the party. Everybody sort of stops and it gets eerily quiet, I hear. Well, you walk into the party and start cutting heads off. Um, guy kind of lost his jovial spirit, hey? Look what happens. This people have committed a great sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, what does it say? It's an interesting statement, don't you think? If not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. And Yahweh says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sins. Then Yahweh smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Now listen, that is an amazing statement. Here's Moses offering up his life on behalf of the people. Okay? Disinherit. Disinherit me, Lord. Destroy me, Lord, because of my love for the people. Okay, being blotted out of the book is basically a premature death. We would call that untimely. Okay, it's no different than the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I wish myself accursed would Israel be saved. Let me ask you a question. See, we struggle with that. We, we, we don't understand that. All right, because we don't have like a national identity. All right. We, we, we just don't have it. I mean, we're Americans, but, you know, I've got some Scottish in me, some Blackfoot Indian, and I don't know what that makes me. Um, but you've got um, Italians, you've got Germans, you've got this, you've got that, and it's all together, and we are German Americans, or we're this Americans, and we're this Americans. We don't understand that. Let me ask you a question. Would you give up your salvation for this country? For this people? Would you be willing to be blotted out of God's book for this people? 
And yet the love of God has been poured where? I didn't get a real loud response on that one. That's kind of louder. And God gave His Son for you. And He says, follow Me. You know what's amazing? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The evilness of man has not changed. Neither has the love of God changed. Nothing's changed. Take it back to 1 Corinthians 10. This was written down for you to be what? An example. Bring it back to your mind. Why? When you come to church on Sunday morning, I want you to understand this. Why are you there? Because He redeemed me. And I want to give. That's why. That's why. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Israel. Father, even when we look at Him and think, man, Lord, we're no different. And yet, Father, in Your faithfulness, in Your mercy, and in Your grace, You love us unconditionally. Father, I see this man, Moses. I eagerly wait the day that I can sit and converse with him. And yet, Father, this man would give his own life for this, that people who had defiled themselves, had corrupted themselves, had rotted themselves. Father, may we, who now are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God, who have the love of God poured into our hearts. Father, who are set here for such a time as this to manifest You. May we live in that love. And may we express that love. May that be what we are known for. Thank You, Lord, for the amazing things You do on a continuous moment by moment basis. We just praise you. Thank you for Israel. Thank you that they are an illustration to us, an example to us. We may understand your mercy and grace, but Father, also understand your holiness to your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.